Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. I am looking out the window of my studio in Fort Collins, and it looks dry out there. I mean, not dry as in that we need moisture, as dry as we're finally not getting some. Um, we've had some water, and we've had cooler temperatures except for a short stretch. So we're going to cover a lot of fishing today during the course of the show. We're going to take you to Blue Mesa. We're going to take you out to uh, several places with Austin Parr. And Nate Zielinski and Chad Lachance are all going to cover some water conditions and fishing updates. We're also going to talk a lot about water safety in the next few weeks. Uh, last year, we had a record number of drownings in Colorado. And even though the calendar says it's, we're approaching June, the water is still pretty cold out there. We had a later spring. And because of that, the water temperatures are still catching up. And even even when they do catch up, a lot of times in early summer in Colorado, hypothermia can set in so quickly. We're going to talk some about that. We're just going to cover a lot of topics and some about animal interaction, too. You know, the bears are out of hibernation. They're looking to put on weight. There's young animals out there. So we have a lot to cover. So why don't we get started? Let's go right to the phones and uh, joining us. From the Blue Mesa area is Andy Cochran. Good morning, Andy. Hi, good morning, Terry. How are you today? I'm doing well, and I understand you have a special guest with us today. You bet. We're uh, excited to have Scott Enlow coming to us from on location at Blue Mesa this morning. So if you can hear us all right, Scott, say hello. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm here. Morning, hello. Scott. This is Terry. Good morning. Good morning, Terry. Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine, and uh, congratulations on catching that little minnow. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a small one. I'm I'm out here today trying for a big one. Yeah, there you go. For tell people, I mean, most people know the story now, but why don't you go ahead and tell them uh, just how big that fish was? Well, we weighed the fish. Uh, the length of the fish was forty-seven, uh, forty-seven long. 37-inch girth, uh, 73.29 pounds. So it was it was a large fish. Well, the largest fish ever caught in Colorado by far. Andy, is, uh, what's the biggest lake trout that came out of Blue Mesa prior to this? Yeah, the previous record has been held since 2007 at 50.46 pounds. So blew it out of the water. Um, I know... Uh, what's the biggest fish either one of you caught prior to this 73-pounder? Uh, Scott, you first. Um, I had a, uh, I've caught a 37-pound fish. Um, you know, we've caught bigger, you know, my son and friends of ours have caught some 40-pound some 40, 40 fish, but 37 was my biggest. Yeah, and Andy, what's your... Pers yeah, personally, a 38-pounder was my biggest, and that was probably 10 years ago, and we've had a few clients on... A couple of fish in the low 40s, but never approaching 50 or in our wildest dreams, 70. You know, Scott, did you notice that Andy says his was one pound bigger than yours prior to that? Well, <laughs> I should have let him go first, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, both you guys, that it's just really is a testament to the, the growth rate of that fishery. 
Scott, what do you attribute the size of that fish to? Is it what it was feeding on? Was it eating kokanee, or is it just a, a an anomaly? What do you think? Yeah, I think it's a you know it's a kind of a testament of you know releasing large fish in the past, but but it's also what they have to eat here. They you know they feed a ton on the rainbows, the browns, and the salmon. But I you know in my opinion, the salmon is the biggest factor for these fish. I mean, just super high protein and fat for these fish. And I think the salmon is the biggest issue. Now, Scott, you and your son, I've read your articles, uh, the articles about you. In fact, I posted one on my Facebook page. Folks, if you want to see a picture of this fish, if you haven't, go to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook, and you'll see a picture of this fish. And we'll put this podcast up on our Facebook later in the week. But is there some particular techniques? You and your son have caught a lot of big fish. Andy, you caught a lot of big fish. Why don't you take turns and tell us what are some of the tips to chasing big fish on Blue Mesa? Scott, you can go first. Well, I think, you know, a lot of people fish, uh, you know, a little bit too deep for the bigger fish. A lot of the fish are, you know, in, uh, tend to be in more shallow water than, than a lot of people think. And uh, they're out there in, in, you know, 90 and 100 foot of water. And the big fish are out there in that deep water, but most of the time when they're out there, they're suspended over that water and really not in a feeding mood at that point. And they pull into shallower water to, to feed. And, yeah, and I, Andy? Yeah, I'll back that up with um, absolutely agree with the, the depth thing. And uh, as far as techniques go, um, it's really a lot of anglers will come and fish to their strengths. A lot of a lot of guys like to jig for these fish, and and really, if you're looking for that one true trophy state record type fish, um, all of the last eight state records that were caught, including Scott's, were all caught on a jig. Um, but we we catch a lot of those teen pound up to like thirty pound fish trolling as well, and casting is another really good technique. Big swim baits, big glide baits. So you can catch them in a lot of different ways, but like what Scott said, it really comes down to fishing the right depth of water, and then really the the biggest key to all of it is time on the water. Well, I couldn't agree more, and one of the things, I've caught not the number of big lake, lake trout you guys have, but Karen and I, when we were filming TV, caught some significant lake trout, and this is all over North America, we've done it, and the one thing I think... Uh, First of all, I'll, I'll agree with your depth thing. My biggest lake trout in Colorado came out of nine feet of water at Granby. So definitely wasn't deep. But I think the other thing, people will catch the smaller ones, the one you guys call pups, and the 20-inch and under or even 25 and under. And they'll think, well, if I keep catching these fish, I'm going to get a big one. But that's not the case, is it? You really have to target and hunt single big fish, don't you? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. If you're catching a lot of small fish, there's a pretty good chance you're not going to get into a big fish. Those smaller fish don't like to hang around with the big fish because they'll become, they'll become the food source for the big fish. And the last question for you, Scott, and then Andy and I, and you can hang on and pipe in if you want, but Andy and I want to go over the conditions at Blue Mesa. But the last question for you is, or the last comment I'd like from you, I think when you're hunting big fish like that, Every detail is so important, including your line, keeping your equipment in good shape, your drags ready. Don't you agree how important that is? And there's a, another tip maybe you have for people on that 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 idea? 
yeah, and, you know, it's a kind of a systematic approach to it. You know, you don't want to have the too big a line. You obviously don't want to have too small of a line. You know, I caught that fish on 10-pound cast line, but, uh, you know, I have my drag set, uh, correct rod, correct reel. You know, it's a systematic approach to it. It's a whole big system, you know, and if you, you know, if you got the wrong rod with the wrong line, you know, or the wrong rod with the right line, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to land that big fish if you get the opportunity and, and vice versa. You know, you don't want to, if you get a big, too big a line, you're probably not going to get the bite as well because, you know, Blue Mesa as a whole is a, a very clear lake uh, right now being spring and we've had a lot of runoff. It's, it's not very clear right now, so you can kind of get away with some bigger line. But, uh, but yeah, you, you know, it's all having the, the, the right line and the, the right equipment at the right time. Now, congratulations on a 73-plus pound fish. And we don't know whether they're going to, whether you'll actually get any records on this because you, you released the fish. Kudos to you. Um, have you had any feedback on whether any records will stand from this? Um, no, not yet. You know, I'm kind of letting them think it over for a while before I contact the, the officials on that. Uh, we've been in touch, but, uh, you know, traditionally, if you don't kill the fish and you don't weigh the fish on dry land, they don't like to count that fish, obviously. Uh, I get it for their reasoning, but, but also, you know, you know, I, I wasn't going to keep the fish, never even considered keeping the fish. Uh, I know what it weighed and know what all the measurements were, and I'm satisfied with that. And so, you know, I'm satisfied that it was the largest fish ever caught on rod and reel. So, um, and whether I get a piece of paper saying that or not, that doesn't bother me at all. Well, hopefully you get some real, you're going to get plenty of recognition, but you have the satisfaction of knowing that that, that large fish is out there and maybe somebody else will get a chance to catch it. Andy, let's talk, let's switch gears real quick. We got a few minutes left. Tell us what's going on. Let's start out with water levels. What are you seeing at Blue Mesa now, and what do you expect? Yeah, kind of like what Scott alluded to, we've been having a ton of runoff, which is wonderful. Um, we've been talking for a couple of years about how low this lake is, and by July 4th, it's pretty much going to be full. So with that comes a lot of issues in the fishery, uh, water color, change in depth, I mean, daily it's coming up about a foot and a half a day right now. Um, so just general things to keep in mind. Most of the, the inlets are going to be really, really off color. And I think if anybody's targeting lake trout, they're really highly visual predators. So trying to find some cleaner water is going to help you out there. And then just running from place to place across the lake, just being aware of floating debris and stuff like that going on too. Um, water temps right now are holding upper 40s, usually still kind of our base water temp. We're seeing low 50s in a couple places, but really that's very ideal water temps to be finding these lake trout incredibly shallow. So right now is the, the time to be here. And with this runoff really just starting, we don't expect the water temps to really get a whole lot warmer for two or three more weeks. So this, this bite window, at least for lake trout, is going to hold on for a while. What about the other species in the lake, rainbows, browns, kokanee, perch, anything else hot, or are they, the cool weather kind of keeping them less active? No, it's actually, you know, historically this iced out, everybody wants to come fish for lake trout, and rightfully so, but you will also find the best brown trout bite of the entire year in this same window. They love this cool water with this new shoreline cover that's being covered up now with runoff. 
it's pulling a lot of little fish, perch, salmon minnows, trout minnows, crawdads, right up in this shoreline cover. And so right behind it are all your predators. So right now is really the peak time for browns and lake trout. And then we've still got a pretty big population of rainbows that are up shallow trying to spawn too. So a lot of stuff to look at up shallow. Um, there's been a handful of reports this week of some salmon starting to show up with people out trolling on the main lake, but that's going to be a little bit of hit and miss proposition until runoff kind of starts to taper off and the lake stabilizes up a little bit. Sounds like, well, you know, until that water hits about 55 surface degrees, those lake trout will stay shallow. They have trouble with temperatures above that, but they'll even cruise into that occasionally to feed, but they can't stay there very long because it's fatal to them. But sounds like there's a good chance for a lot of lake trout yet, and it's going to continue probably well. Uh, well, you can catch them year-round, but it'll continue well into the early summer. One last question, if if Scott is still there. Scott, describe the lure you caught the fish on. Do I really have to? No. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, actually, and you know, I was using one of Andy's GSO uh, jig hooks. You know, I had a five-alt uh, on a one-ounce head, uh, the ones that Andy pours. And, uh, but I, and just a simple bait, a six-inch uh, tube. That's, uh, you know, there's nothing really special about it. You know, pretty much the right place at the right time and a fish that was ready to feed. Now, when you use those big tubes, you, do you chip them with anything? They add some scent, some sucker meat or anything, or you depend strictly on the action of the tube? Strictly on the action of the tube, yeah. I think those, you know, added things are, I think that takes away from the bait and uh, kind of puts the fish more on notice. Uh, the more natural you can get, the better. All right. Once again, Scott, thank you so much for joining us today, and congratulations on both catching what will what certainly is the biggest fish ever caught in Colorado. And thank you also for um, releasing it and being such a conservationist. And I know you'd be out there trying to catch another one. You know, when I say it's the biggest fish in Colorado, we've had some big, like, uh, mere carp and things, but I don't think anything reached that size, especially not of a game fish. So that's just incredible. In fact, the biggest one ever caught in the world, if, it, if, it, if the weight holds up officially, but you know what you did and what you got, and you're going to be able to treasure that for the rest of your life and respect you as an angler, both for your skill and for your caring about the species. Andy, if people want to book a guide trip with you, how do they do that? Yeah, you can find us on gsofishing.com or that same name, gsofishing, on Facebook and Instagram. Um, we do do a pretty comprehensive fishing report on our Facebook page every Thursday, so gets everybody geared up for the weekend and has some tips on what to expect on your weekend trip. So follow us there, and we'll keep you updated. And if I book a trip with you, you're going to guarantee me a 70-pound lake trout, right? I bet we can look at one, but you got to catch it. <laughs> thanks, Andy, and thanks, Scott. Congratulations. Yeah, thank I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what, folks. Get a hold of Andy and get out there. Blue Mesa, it's it's just going to get better now until, until it gets full almost, Andy. The species may change, but it's still one of the premier fisheries in the western United States. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thank you. Yeah, thank Appreciate you. it. You bet. Andy Cochran and Scott Enlow. Is that how it, can you imagine, folks? 
You're out. And this man has hunted big fish, but his biggest one personally was 37 pounds prior to this. Now, there's been 40 and 50 pound fish out of Blue Mesa, so you anticipate the chance of that type of fish. But I don't think they could have even anticipated a 73 pound world record lake trout. Now, whether it becomes a world record or not, because they did release it, it may not, but what an incredible experience that must have been. Hey, we're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to change things up a little bit, and we're going to talk about swift water safety and rescue right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go right to the phones. Joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Jeff Hammond. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Terry. Good to talk with you again. Good talking to you. How's the weather down in the Arkansas Headwaters area? Well, it's a nice, cool morning. It started off uh, a little bit cloudy and, and a little bit of humidity, but the clouds are starting to burn off, and it's, it's starting to warm up. Yeah, and with that warm-up, it's going to come some runoff, and Arkansas River is uh, Headwaters is one of the most popular rafting and drifting rivers probably in the United States, and unfortunately, last year in Colorado, we had more water deaths. We set a record, so we're really trying to make sure people get out there and do things safely, and as that water starts to rise and more people use it, it's really important to, we, as we say, know before you go, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, if they're coming just to enjoy the river, go for a tubing trip, um, they might be used to tubing elsewhere where it's more of the lazy river float. And that's definitely not the case up here. It's fast. This time of year, the water's cold. You know, it was snow just uh, probably 24 hours ago. So it's still pretty cold water. And, uh, and very fast moving. It really is, and it's the water's so powerful, and I think people don't realize how powerful it is. If you've seen some of the floods, I don't live very far from the Big Thompson River, and the way when the water comes through, I mean, it has so much power. But even just even if it's raftable water, uh, it can be very very hard to handle. Now, I've gone through the Gunnison Gorge, uh, Black Canyon, and shot some rapids and things with experienced outfitters and tubing especially would be one that would really expose you to some of the dangers you have quite a variety of water on the arkansas don't you yeah we love to say everything from mild to wild so that's you know white water is rated on a class one through five system and, and we've got it all here so you could really be a, a beginner boater all the way to an expert and, and never have to leave the arkansas valley now, are there places you could safely, or I mean, there's always a danger in the water, but are relatively safe places to tube, or is that just different times of the year? Yeah, I always direct people towards the whitewater play parks. Um, so those are located in Buena Vista, Salida, Canyon City, and then Florence as well. And some of the advantages you're going to have there um, is that there's it's a little bit more manicured, there's more people around, there's often a sidewalk that runs the whole length of the park, so if you're tubing, you can get out and walk right back up, um, and you're not uh, you're not having to bushwhack your way back up through it, through uh, the backcountry. We also have loaner stations uh, for life jackets available in Buena Vista, Salida, and Canyon City, so anybody can go pick up a life jacket from one of those loaner stations, but you return them. Now, who needs a life jacket when they're on the Arkansas? Yeah, so we have a couple of regulations that are specific to the Arkansas River, uh, so it might be different from what people are used to elsewhere. Um, and 
is tubing anywhere in the Arkansas headwaters, so that's from pretty much up to Leadville all the way down to Lake Pueblo, uh, needs a life jacket whenever they're in the tube, and that's adults and kids. Uh, and then also anyone who's swimming in any of those places. Outside of that, the standard, um, you know, statewide regulations, just that, you know, anyone under the age of 13 needs to wear one at all times. Anyone over needs to have it readily available. That said, I always recommend because they don't learn, they don't work unless you're wearing them. Oh, absolutely right. And, you know, two things I think you, you would agree and you probably, uh, you and I have talked about this. The two things that probably contribute more than anything to drowning deaths are life jackets and alcohol, wouldn't you think? Absolutely, yeah, and, and an easy way to mitigate that, you know, leave the alcohol at home, you maybe use it to celebrate after your boating trip, and then uh, definitely make sure you're wearing a, a good, properly fitted life jacket. Now, there's, you know, there's outfitters that can take you on float trips, whether fishing or whitewater rafting on the Arkansas, it's famous for that. Those trips can be exciting and fun, and, you know, if you're going with a an expert, they're going to be able to fill you in and let you know all the things you need to do. But do you have some tips for people who are maybe tubing or rafting a river like the Arkansas themselves? What do they need to know ahead of time and what happens when they fall, if they fall in? Yeah, I always recommend, uh, you know, plan ahead and, and prepare. You mentioned know before you go to really be familiar with the section you're about to do. Know where you're putting in, where you're t- and all the rapids in between. And we have some resources. If people go to our website or call the office, we can uh, give you a map that, that shows you what to expect in every section. Um, additionally, um, dressing warm. Like I said, the water, um, and it can be a shock to you when, when you fall in. And then the final thing to remember is just if you do fall into the water, either it's out or you lose, lose hold of your tube, um, you want to float with your nose and toes out of the water. Nose is pretty obvious because we want to be able to breathe, but we also want to keep our toes up so they don't get caught in any rocks. Um, the, you know, the bottom of the river is pretty rocky. To put your feet down and stop you, you can get a foot entrapment, and that's a really dangerous situation. So until you're floated into calm water where you're not moving downstream, make sure you keep your, your nose and toes out of the water. And you try to go feet first if you can, right? Yeah, you can keep your feet downstream of you and use them kind of like bumpers to uh, – to kick off of a rock. Um, that said, if you see a tree or wood or anything in the water, you probably want to roll over onto your belly and try to swim aggressively away from those, like a crawl stroke. Yeah, and just understand, you do a little research. A lot of people are getting into activities since COVID they hadn't tried before. And whitewater rafting is one that makes sure you understand where you're at, what the dangers are, and what type of what type of float you're doing. If it's a tube or if it's a, a kayak, or there's different things, but Go somewhere maybe very still and safe and practice, wouldn't you think? Definitely. Um, yeah, I'd say, you know, start slow. Um, well, uh, it's easy to watch videos of, of Class 5 boaters um, who are professionals and very experienced and say, man, I really want to do that. Um, keep in mind, it takes a couple of years to get there. So um, no shame in going slow and, and making sure you're really ready for it before you step up to, to a higher difficulty section. It really is. And let's have a much safer summer this year. We had a tough one last year. Jeff, last comment before we let you go. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. The water's coming up. So, um, you know, if folks have any questions about coming boating out here, please offer us a call, and uh, we'd be happy to get you pointed in the right direction. One last quick question for me. If the water coming up, is it still fairly fishable? 
yeah, we we're still a gold medal trout fishery, and uh, you know the the fish don't care to to eat elsewhere in the summer. So they're they're still down there somewhere. They just might be a little bit harder to find. All right, Jeff. Thank you so much for joining us, and hopefully people will have a a safe summer, Jeff. I hope so too. Thank you. You bet, Jeff Hammond. You know the Arkansas is just a famous, famous floating river, also a famous fishing river. We'll do some more reports there as spring goes on, on the fishing side of it. But uh, it's going to fish well for quite a while. It's going to different levels. You may have to move up and down the river as the runoff comes. The bug hatches change. And a lot of times this time of the year, I tell people, if you're going to walk wade fish, leave your waders at home. Don't get out in that fast water with waders on. You just never know what could happen to you. We're going to take a quick time out. When we get come back, we're going to talk some more water safety, but now boating safety right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear, stores up and down the front range, even all the way from Broomfield up to uh, Cheyenne and in between. If you're an outdoor enthusiast, you need to check one out, especially with their summer kickoff sales going on. The prices are ridiculous. Let's go to the phones. Joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Travis Duncan. Good morning, Travis. Hey, morning, Terry. How you doing? No, we just got done talking um, with um, with Jim Hammond about fr- oh, swift water safety and floating the Arkansas River. But as I mentioned this last last segment but last year was a tough year in the water in Colorado we lost more people than any other year and we really want to turn that around we want people out there but we want them doing it safe safely and along with that I think National Safe Boating Week is coming up quick isn't it yep it is it actually uh, starts today National Safe Boating Week is uh, May 20th through the 26th Um, so Parks and Wildlife is on board with that helping promote um, safe boating tips so we can help educate uh, outdoor enthusiasts across the state on how uh, to be cautious and enjoy color water safely. Uh, yeah, while, while you enjoy water sports like power boating, kayaking, paddleboarding, uh, swimming, and fishing. And of course, we want people to be safe year round, not just this week. But the reason we designate a week is to do a little more education. Uh, and and the mantra I think since COVID for all of us to to the outdoor enthusiasts has really been know before you go, hasn't it? Yeah, we've really stressed that message as we see more more folks getting outside um, during and since uh, the pandemic. Um, you know, in last year we did, uh, as you said, have more water-related fatalities than, than ever before in Colorado. There were 42 um, last year, and so this year we're we're really pushing that message of, uh, you know, we know boat ramps are opening up, temperatures are getting warmer, more people are going to be getting outside and recreating on the water. But when you do. Um, be sure to wear a life jacket and, and boat safely and, and just be safe while you're out there. So know before you go, know the condition, um, you know, wear your life jacket um, and and look look at what the conditions are. Consider taking a boating safety class in Colorado and, and inspect all your gear because you don't want to be out there and, and get into trouble with, with yourself or, or with your family out on the water. Now, are there a few particular messages? I know wearing your life jacket or personal flotation device are really the top of all the boating safety because, as we mentioned last time, the two main things that seem to contribute the most are no life jacket and alcohol. And is that what you see in the still water incidents too? 
It is, and you're right, Terry. That's the two messages we we say the most. It's always wear your life jacket when out on the water, and and yeah, and boat sober. Alcohol use is one of the leading uh, contributing factors in recreational boating deaths. So, so those two things, if folks would would just pay attention to those, always wear their life jacket and, and boat sober. I think we'd have a lot fewer accidents. You know, and it, you can end up in the water so quickly. It's only happened to me one time. And I know it's happened to my friend Chad Lachance once and probably everybody I know once. But if if it does happen, it'll happen so suddenly. And if it's especially this time of the year, that water is probably still in the 50s. Even on the front range, it's probably not to the 60s with this rain and runoff we've had. And you hit even 60, 65 degree water. And it just shocks you and takes the breath away from you. And then even if you recover and you're able to gather yourself, you have just minutes to get out of the water before hypothermia sets in. Yep, it happens super quick. And, and when those water temperatures are below 70 degrees, it's especially um, risky. So, yeah, cold water immersion shock. Um, when you combine that with not having a life jacket on is, is going to be a huge contributing factor or has been a contributing factor in, in a lot of the drownings we've had in recent seasons. And I, I want, I think a lot of people may not know the danger or maybe they're coming from the Midwest or, or out of state and might not know. And so every year we just want to stress, um, you know, when those water temperatures are cold like that, it's especially important to, to be aware and to have a life jacket on in case you do go in the water. Yeah. And if you're in like a kayak or a paddle board or a canoe, um, if you fall in, if you're not wearing your life jacket, you have to have one with you. It has to be on the vessel. But if you're not wearing it, your momentum usually pushes that vehicle away. And swimming to try to get back in that vehicle, first getting back on one out in cold water is almost impossible for most people. And then you can almost never catch up with it. It tends to keep moving away from you. And people don't realize how quickly they get in trouble in those situations, especially the paddle sports. Yep, and, and that's a good reminder, Terry, that um, all those life jacket requirements um, apply apply to vessels on the water, and, and paddle boards and kayaks are also considered vessels, and, and definitely um, let folks know they need to have a life jacket on when they're on those vessels as well. I want to change things up with you a little bit, Travis. I want to, this time of the year, too, there's a couple other things going on, and that's the bears are out, and... We have a robust population of bears in Colorado, and people need to start thinking about that those bears are out looking for food. And also a lot of young-of-the-year animals are out there, and people have to stop rescuing them. Yeah, yeah Terry, that's, that's definitely two, two topics that come up this time of year. Um, to, to your later point about young animals, yeah, we, we have a campaign every year we call Leave Young Wildlife Alone, and we do have folks who come across uh, fawns or other other baby animals, they might and think they're they're doing a good thing by by picking that animal up and bringing it into an area office. Uh, when in fact, in most cases, the the best thing they could have done was to leave that animal alone. Um, the the mother's lesson nearby, um, but by by picking up that animal or by removing it from from where it's at, you're you're creating a, a situation where the mother might not come back for that animal, or you may have um, you know made made it to that animal. Um, can no longer live in the wild effectively. And so um, we just ask folks to, if you are concerned about an animal that you see out, to call your local wildlife office to let our wildlife officers know. Um, most likely, if, if it's you know, less than a 24-hour period, the animal's going to be fine. But, but if it's longer than that, you know, give us a call, and our officers will come out and, and, and check it out and see um, you know, if action needs to be taken. Um, but, but don't, 
don't touch the animal, don't pick up the animal or, or bring it into one of our offices. That That is um, a mistake we see every year and just like to avoid um, that embarrassment of, or, you know, of, of having to tell folks, hey, you, you actually, I know you're trying to do a, a good thing, but in fact, um, made, made a, created a problem. So, um, yeah. and then to your first point, yes, bear, it is the time when bears are becoming more active. Um, and, and already this year, we, we've seen bears out. We've received 173 reports of bear activity in 25 Colorado counties already this year. So, um, they're out and about. And, um, as you know, Terry, you know, Colorado Parks and Wildlife really spreads the message of securing your attractants around your house making sure you're you're not bringing your garbage out to the curb early to, to do that as close to the time that the trash truck comes as possible and to, to, to make do things like secure you know any pet food you may have or or, or feeders or bird seed you may have because if a bear gets into that um, you know that's that's teaching a, a, a bear especially a bear that's coming right out of hibernation and especially needs those natural foods that it's teaching it to get food rewards from from unnatural sources to become uh, more habituated to human food sources and that leads to to bad situations down the road, as you know, where, where our wildlife officers then have to make tough decisions on animals that, that have become habituated to humans and, and are creating a safety, a health and human safety issue. So, um, so, so we have great tips on our website on how to bear proof your home, things to think about um, around the house, uh, as well as things to think about if you're, if you're traveling or car camping or if you're out in the backcountry. Um, hanging your food, you know, things like that, not bringing food into your tent, all those, all those things that, that we know in Colorado, you know, really help keep our wildlife wild and, and help make sure that they're not, they're not getting into human food sources. Yeah. And uh, there's information on all these topics. People need to go to the Colorado Parks and Wildlife website. There's water safety, there's boating inspection safety, there's what safety gear you need on your boat, what's required, there's bear aware information. They really need to look at folks and understand. And the young wildlife thing is covered there too. Travis, we're out of time, but thank you so much for joining us today. Definitely. Thanks, Terry. All right, Travis Duncan from Parks and Wildlife. We're going to take a time out, and Austin Parr is going to join us, and after him, Nate Zielinski, and we're going to talk some fishing on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go right to the phones and joining us, one of our favorite contributors, Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Hey, before we get started and just kind of a general update on fishing conditions, we did get somebody on the text line that said, John Martin is really low. Are they going to release any water from Pueblo further down? Now, I'll tell you what I know, and maybe you can add to this. I talked to Jim Ramsey down there earlier in the spring. He said even though the water was low, the fishing was actually expected it to be quite good and was getting better, and the boat ramps were open. As far as getting more water, they have a small amount they own to save the fishery, so it won't go below that level. But the Arkansas was one of the drainages that didn't get as much snowpack as some of the others, so we're just going to have to wait and see how much water Pueblo gets and whether they're allowed to let some go down and keep it in John Martin. Anything you got to add to that? Yeah, I mean that's that's exactly what what I have as well, and and the thing that that you got to remember is that the, the fisheries, you know, in parks and wildlife don't have control over what water is coming down the pipe, and and unfortunately, uh, outside of them owning a, a small percentage of that water, it's 
very similar to Chatfield and Cherry Creek too, where when the water gets called for, it gets pulled. And uh, with those big storms not really hitting that southeastern part of the state as much, uh, it didn't really put that extra big push like we've seen in Chatfield and Cherry Creek. But hopefully we'll get some more water. Uh, but even though the water is really low, it's still a big reservoir, and there's still a good amount of water. And as you are mentioning, I have been hearing that the fishing has been fairly productive. Yep. So what else are you hearing? I mean, I'll make a comment before you even start. You know, when I lived in the Midwest the first part of my life, and I kept a fishing log, and I would base it on the time of the year and the weather conditions daily, and I would mark those in where the water temps were and everything. But I didn't have to contend with 10 feet of water in two days changing either. So I'm throwing away my log, and I'm just going to attack the lake as I go out every day and make a plan. Yeah, and that's basically how we've been doing it as well. And, and it's interesting, particularly when we're talking about lakes like Chapel Reservoir, where we did see that 10-foot raise in just a couple of days. Uh, the fish are really not where I would anticipate them being right now. Uh, you know, when you, you think about those eastern plains fisheries, whether you're in Colorado or you're out into Kansas or Nebraska, when the water level gets high, most of the time those fish will follow it and get right up into those trees as well. But there are not very many bait fish right now in Chatfield, and it does not appear as though we've had a ton of fish up in the trees. Granted, we're catching some that are on the edges, but we've been doing still uh, pretty good on some trolling patterns and then finding a few fish on some offshore structure that would normally be too shallow than uh, what we would normally be finding in, in a standard historic full pool. But as we have some bait fish hatch, I imagine those walleyes will really start to move up into those trees. Uh, but the bite has still been reasonable out there. Now, Cherry Creek have not heard much report on it. The boat ramps are still closed. And there are some guys that are catching some fish from the shore. Uh, but in general, the boating is not uh, obviously open out there. So that is uh, going to have to wait before I'm going to have my boat out there figuring out what's going on. Yeah, Cherry Creek. Their water came up 10 feet, and they were only about 4 or 5 feet low. So the water is up on the roads. The road around the back of the park is washed out, and we're going to take see if it's going to take a while for that water to recede. And if we keep getting these storms, it may take longer than we think because they have to control flooding downstream on Cherry Creek with that. So we'll see what happens. Where are you hearing up in the Granby-Williams Fork area? Yeah, so the boat ramps, I believe, are still not open at Williams Fork, but they are at Granby. The lake trout bite has been good up there, and there's been quite a few fish that have been up shallow. Some guys have been having really good success throwing big jerk baits as well as swim baits, things like Huddleston swim baits as well as S waivers from river to sea have been very productive for those large lake trout. And uh, even from the shore access, they've been up very shallow. So it's a fantastic time to get up there and have an opportunity at a true trophy. And then, um, you know, getting out in the boat, still, uh, I'd still be thinking shallow, uh, you're able to do some trolling with some large flatfish, uh, as well as big, uh, like original floater Rapalas or Smithwicks on a snap weight or a downrigger just to get it down just a touch. Uh, but still, a lot of the guys that are catching them have been doing well in the under 20 foot of water range. Still can jig them as well, but right now is a great time to throw those big swim baits and be able to get those reactionary strikes. Now, the same general thing has been happening at Williams Fork. Uh, the lake is a lot lower over there and up toward the inlet edge as well as some of the back coves on the southwestern side have all been producing some big lake trout. Now, it's a big, uh, it's, it's a great time to get up there, but it's always something I like to, to preach where 
these large lake trout are very old and it's uh, an important time as always in my opinion to be doing some catch and release on those and if you want to keep some fish keep those fish in that under you know say 22 inch class uh, much better eating they're much younger fish um and, and those big fish are just challenging to replace in the system a testament to that is earlier in the show we had scott enlow on who caught the 73 pounder at blue mesa and he may have sacrificed a chance at a world and state record because he released it, but he'll always know he had that 73-pound fish. Absolutely, and it's something where I, I'm never going to be purposefully killing a large lake trout like that. And, and uh, you know, smaller lake trout are great eating, and it's good to be able to harvest some of those out of the system. But those big fish, in my opinion, really, it's great to get those guys back in and let somebody else have a shot at them. And speaking of Williamsport, people, if you don't know, the reason the boat ramps aren't open is because the water's below way below the boat ramps are we have we heard anything i haven't on when they put some, well they may put some water in there i was hearing that they were hoping to have the boat ramps open uh by you know the first ish week of june so hopefully we can get some runoff and and be able to to get those uh that that kind of timing to to actually work out we got a couple minutes left, and speaking of runoff, why don't, what are you hearing on the rivers? Are they blowing out? Are they still fishable? Of course, tailwaters are controlled. Anything updates there? Yep, so it's been, um, in, in the, for the most part, a lot of the Freestone rivers really are starting to get fairly high and off color right now. A lot of folks will start to ignore them. However, it's still one of my favorite times to get out there. If you have a conventional rod, throwing your jerk baits and your, your bigger marabou jigs all can be very productive. But the fly fishing can still be good on some of those places like the Eagle and the Colorado, throwing big streamers as well as nymphing large stone flies as well as San Juan worms. Both I like a lot. Now, the tailwaters really are your spot, though, if you're looking to have the best overall fishing. Granted, you'll have more crowds on the rivers this time of year, but Deckers really has been producing a lot of good fish. Uh, there's still been some good beta hatches, but the caddis are starting to come off right now as well. Uh, and then the small stone flies have been very productive, along with leeches with some of the slightly higher flows. So working uh, your nymph rigs in the early morning, say with a lead leech or a micro stone, and then trailing a small case caddis or a jujubatus is kind of my first approach. And then as the day progresses, if you start getting some nice hatches coming off, uh, switching over and fishing those hatches uh, will be productive. And then speaking of hatches, there has been still some really good caddis coming off on the Arkansas. A lot of the water has been a little bit more off color, but even with that, those fish start looking up as those caddis are coming off, uh, even in that off-color water. So it's a great time for some good dry fly action, um, you know, especially as you get up to the upper portions where you're going to have a little bit more clear water on the arc. And the last thing, even if you're a fly fisherman or conventional, this is a great time to be hitting the ponds right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, this, I think hopefully we can get some little bit warmer weather coming here and get the water temperatures up even a little bit more they drop down pretty heavy after those uh, heavy rains but if we can get some nice warm weather i think these bass are going to really start moving and it's a good time to go hit those local neighborhood ponds for some really high quality fish actually uh, some of the best bass i mean the biggest bass i've caught in colorado for the most part have come out of very small ponds and lakes usually fishing from shore we get so many people ask us about shore fishing you know both lakes the trout are still active, even on the front range from shore, and the ponds are going to be active. This is a great time for the shore anglers. Totally agree. It's a worthwhile time to get out and catch fish really anywhere in the state. Where can people find you if they need want more information or want to book a guide trip with you? I'm at Discount Fishing Tackle. We're six blocks south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe.
All right, my friend. Uh, we will talk to you again soon. Thank you so much, Terry. I appreciate it. You bet. Austin Parr, always a great resource. Speaking of great resources, I imagine holding on the line is one of our favorite resources. You know, I used to rip Nate all the time and go in and because he, he pulled some tricks on me in the boat and I, I've yet to forgive him. But over the last year and a half, I've been really nice to him. We'll see if we can work on that. All that and more coming up in Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.